0: Welcome to Alki, the podcast where we do a personal dive into this week's tour portion. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and I'm joined by...
1: I'm Aaron Rotenberg. So, Aaron... Another one of the co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time we're doing this intro, so we're, uh, we're figuring out the
0: flow. And speaking of flow, Aaron, you know, you chose this great name, Alki. What does it hmm. mean exactly, and why did you pick this name? What's What's its significance?
1: Yeah, so alpi is a phrase that comes up in the, we haven't framed anything yet, but this is a Torah, a podcast that's going to be about the Torah, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. uh, And it's a phrase that comes up in the Torah that means according to, or it literally means on the mouth of, or from the mouth of. uh, And it seemed like a good option, for a podcast title because we're doing like oral transmission that we're going to be sharing some oral Torah uh, as we chat about the weekly Torah portion.
0: I love that. It's kind of like the Torah (laughs) as it relates to us, Alpi Anachnu, like uh, like from our perspective of it, you know?
1: Right. I feel like there's also like with the according to piece, there's also like some subjectivity piece to it, like yeah everybody brings their own way of understanding. But like that's also what I what I have in mind.
0: We'll be the first people to bring our understanding to Torah. <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a new concept. Most people just look at it and that's it. But uh we're going to see how it relates to us and our life and how we interpret it. Um I love that. So exactly mm-hmm. this week's Torah portion, very Sheets in the beginning. Uh, I think one of the things we talked about was yeah. doing kind of a, a summary each of Bereshit. Sheets. Um, I did read mm-hmm. it first. I read it yesterday, and then I listened to it on the JPS audiobook. And then I tried reading oh. Portuguese to see if there's any differences as well, but I didn't mm-hmm. get very far. They use a very old grammar, uh, obviously, because it's the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. Um, so, do you yeah, want I didn't to know there do was like an a. Audiobook. Yeah, the JPS audio, JPS Tanakh. Yeah. yeah, you can listen to it mm. for free. I did pay for it, um, just because. Uh, cool. But I found it very helpful. So, do we want to do like a one minute summary each and see how they compare? Do do we want to do a true one minute or kind of like a minute, you know, in a metaphorical no.
1: sense? Well, I should say I think this or this idea was at least inspired by uh, listening to. Just to give a a shout out to the Harry Potter and the Savior Text podcast, where they often start. uh, Or when I was listening to it, it was Vanessa Zoldan and Casper Dr. who were hosting it. And they would each do like a competitive one minute, like timed, couldn't go over one minute. And then like ranked and see who did, or like they decided amongst themselves who did the better summary. So... That's my. That's the inspiration that I have in my head,
0: and that's good to from do a legal perspective. Actually one minute, like we have to always acknowledge the people for whatever we're referencing. So, reference to Harry Potter and the Secret Text. Reference. Big shout out to Moses on his five mm. books, which we'll explore. <laughs> don't want people to think that we wrote this. But.
1: Yeah, and spoiler, I may reveal that I don't think that they were written by Moses. But we'll get into that. We'll get into all of these. All these things and much more. It's true. Some people believe, I, I, you know, one of
0: my favorite folk stories is that the Torah was written by the Torah before the Torah was written. You know, that one where God's reading the Torah oh, of how to read the world. It's very, um, I feel like every religion does that. But uh, here, what are, I'll, mm-hmm. I get a stab at my one minute. This, there, there was a lot in this Torah portion. Um, it was very yeah. cursory. So I don't know if I can even fit into one minute being as fast-paced as I am. Uh, but let me give it a go, and then I'll throw it to you, okay. you'll give your
1: one minute. Great. I'm going to get my stopwatch going. Oh, me too. Oh, <laughs> you, you have too? a okay. real stopwatch. So, uh, yours is real.
0: For those Just of you can't see, Aaron is holding an old-timey, like, track-and-field stopwatch. Oh, wait, no, it's an actual... It's my uh, wristwatch.
1: It's a wristwatch. I'm holding it like a, like an old-timey...
0: Here's first Paul with my one minute summary one
1: minute summary
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a we'll make a song version of it in the near future okay. here i go so in bereshit the spirit of god is uh, or wind of god is going over the surface of the deep and he is creating the earth over 6 days the order i'm not quite remembering but there he's creating the day the night the sun the moon that's more alluded to all of the animals, there's sea monsters there, if I recall. And uh, he creates man and woman, and then he rests on the seventh day. Then, depending on how you look at it, he goes into a deep dive of how he created man from uh, dust, I think, and then he creates woman from man's rib. Then they eat the forbidden fruit, and God is super pissed. They become aware of their nakedness and they get cast out. Man has to toil, woman has to give birth painfully. They have kids, Cain and Abel. One of them creates vegetables; the other one creates hunts meat. And God doesn't like the veggie one, so he gets killed by his brother. Everyone is a huge disappointment, but then Noah comes around, and that's when we get to the next parsha. Wow,
1: and that time, is hard. To, whoa, hmm. that is hard to fit that in was one minute. A great first go at this one minute parsha summary, ball.
0: <laughs> I'm. It's. A lot of people believe, and maybe you believe this too, that the Tanakh is kind of like, everyone knew these stories, so they're just giving you a Coles mm-hmm. notes, or um, that's a Canadian reference. A quick summary, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak. So I'm like, wow, there's so much in that first parshat that I could barely get into the one minute. I shouldn't have gone into so much detail on God's winds. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that's an important part. Yeah. <laughs> I like focusing on God's wind. Me too. Uh, Let's get into that I afterwards. get extra points for that. Yeah, uh, but now I guess now I'm I'm intimidated to see if I can uh, do it too. But
0: I, I I'm very curious because you're much more thoughtful than me. So I'm like, how will thought be? It's going to be extra
1: hard for me. I'm not going to approach this. Um, but I'm just going to dive in and see. Are we ready? Let's
0: do it. Three. Oh wait. Um. What What was our jingle? One minute summary. One minute summary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whenever you're ready. You you have your own stopwatch, so I'll let you time yourself. But I'm going to... No, no, it's
1: good. Mine doesn't do the the ring, which I think we need.
0: Oh, you want the ring. Okay. Let me get a less abrupt ring. Maybe something more seaside. That's better.
1: better. That's the sound of God hovering. The spirit of God hovering. (laughs) Three,
0: two, one minute summary.
1: So in the beginning, there's all this light nothingness and void, and then God comes in and creates the world every day, doing a little bit of things for the first sixth day and the seventh day, rest. Second creation story, starting from the beginning, describing it in a different way. God's creating things, plants, people, it all comes together. Uh, God uh, creates humans, and then they have children, the two first sons. One ends up killing each other. It doesn't go so well. Cain uh, gets protected, has to wander around, uh, then there's also Seth. People keep being having children, and then eventually they get to Noah. And God's like, ah, actually, I regret all this whole creation thing. Maybe I should just like erase it and start again. Uh, but Noah is a kind of a little bit of a nice glimmer, and says, Oh, maybe we'll take things from there. Could even take a breath at the end. You did. <laughs> did I skip over important things. Yes, but. <laughs>
0: I like that you included the allusion to genealogy. I was kind of like, who who was Tuval um, Tuval Kane, right? That's one of the Tuval people. There.
1: Tuval yeah, was I was like metallurgy or something. Yeah.
0: Like, uh, I just find that so funny. Like, um, When they go through the genealogy, I'm like, imagine you had a son and you're like, he'll be named Tuval Aaron. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> so Let's compare our summaries. Uh, I know we don't have an audience right now to pick from, but I will say you hit a lot more accuracy. (laughs) I have to give you that. You were saying things accurately. I was really like um, alluding to broad strokes, not always in the right order. So I want to give you the accuracy points for sure.
1: Well, if we're going to do it where uh, we compliment each other's and critique our own, I would say that yours like, really focused on, like, the creation, which is the main, I feel like, the central part of uh, this Parsha. So I think that really was helpful. And I was already like, oh, well, Paul said those things, so I don't want to say them. So it, it's I think I also felt some of the, the benefit of going second. Maybe next time we'll switch it up. And I felt like I was like, oh, what happens? And I forgot all the different parts and I was, like, trying to remember. And then I just started talking about Noah. And, like, that's next week. So... That's okay I, too. I believe
0: it ends on Noah, so it's still accurate. But um, maybe what we'll, we can do in the future is we don't even hear the other person's summary, so it doesn't influence really? us. Then we'll pause the recording and listen back to each other's summaries um, <laughs> and see like kind of our perspective and critiques of them.
1: But I would say not that we'd need to have a winner, not that we need to do it so competitively. I feel like you did a great job, and it was the first one. I feel like that for sure gets the winning winning summary
0: you can tell this is like a canadian podcast when it's like we're both winning by being here
1: you know it's right a canadian jewish
0: podcast everyone wins with torah because there's enough torah for everyone You, you heard it from here first
1: you know um so speaking of all this torah yeah i feel like we had ideas about doing different segments absolutely that was our first segment
0: our first segment was the one minute summary. Our next <laughs> segment uh was i think just honestly, I feel like what's coming naturally is kind of just focusing in on one topic or theme. We talked about hub har- yeah. Elohim mm. um so let's maybe we should do summary uh not a deep dive but a a light dive into a piece dive. Dive. Mm. and then we can kind of go into um the theory portion, Midrash hadash. Like, what's, oh, yeah. what do we think was happening here? Mm. Um, or it could be kind of overlapping? Because I know we were really caught by Haruah Elohim. So what is what is HaRuach? Yeah. What, what part of the summary does that come up? And what is that referring to?
1: Yeah, well, I like how you said a, a deep dive or maybe a shallow dive because when I think that we first encounter this Ruach Elohim, this spirit or wind of Elohim, one of the divine names, that's hovering or floating over the waters, these primordial waters, which is also strange or a little bit like hard to exactly know what it's getting at. Like what
0: do you imagine? Like we should explain to I guess our listeners that ruach can mean spirits, but it can also mean wind. So some translations, I don't see this I only see this in Jewish translations. Mm -hmm. Refer to the spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. But I've also seen people say the wind of God hovering over the face of the deep. Yeah. Um, So when you hear that, what do you imagine? Because what I imagine is very brainstem. So I'm curious to hear what you imagine.
1: Mm. Well, and I feel like this is probably going to come up repeatedly, that I just have like lots of different explanations over the years that are built up. So I could, I imagine, yeah, there being upper and lower waters and there's some sort of like, energetic spirit that's like moving through yeah i guess i do i know that wind isn't visible but i think i am imagining like clouds or something like motion on the water even though there's no air yeah right there's no air there hasn't been separation of anything yet so what what is the picture i'm picturing clouds and waves
0: so, kind of clouds and waves are fluttering over this abyss, and like, is something happening as this flutter happens? Uh,
1: I'm I'm imagining like lightning and like a storm. I think I'm imagining a storm. There's just some like primeval storm of waters churning, and that energy is the Ruach Elohim the spirit or wind of God. I feel like that what, kind of what makes... Do you imagine, what do you
0: see? I, I think what you're saying makes the most sense. If we're thinking it almost kind of like scientifically. It's kind of like a Big Bang-like thing, like energy is being released. Like, mm. I I have to be honest, like my initial reaction whenever, whenever I started to understand Hebrew more and read this line kind of with n- new eyes, I, I weirdly imagine kind of like... <laughs> God as, like, a person in robes, like, Moses-style robes, like, from, um, and I know this movie is going to come up a lot, from, like, Prince of Egypt. But, like, I imagine God in, like, Moses' robes actually just kind of, like, Superman floating over water and (laughs) just kind of, like, checking Uh it out. Like, I know the spirit of God suggests something more abstract, and somehow I just kind of imagine kind of, like, I don't know. I kind of almost imagine like uh, God getting his like bearings and scoping things out. Like okay, like this is my project. I'm gonna check it out. Like kind of looking it over. And okay, mm-hmm. like the spirit of God is floating over the deep, deep. Like okay, now I've got a sense as to what I've got to do here. And then he kind of becomes more ephemeral um, or like less humanoid. But I. I mm-hmm. My initial reaction, and that's what I'm saying, like this is very brainsome. I know intellectually, at least for the last thousand years, like in Judaism, we don't consider God too
1: human-like, you
0: know? But I think I, I this,
1: this, yeah. this image, I think, makes sense, having read through the whole Parsha, because there is like a very anthropomorphic vision of God that we do get, right? That God's like wandering around the garden saying all these things. I think that makes sense if you're like imagining like a continuity of this God character through the whole parsha. Yeah, like God's walking around in other places. So if if God's why not flying around? I think that makes that makes sense. It's true. And
0: if we're saying, you know, in the same parsha uh that humans are made in God's image, I'm like, well, then he must look like them. Like Mm -hmm. uh I know like again, like we've we've adopted a more abstract understanding of God over the last hundreds of years, but you can imagine People as they were originally writing this or interpreting this, they probably would imagine their creator as like them, um, the same way our parents are like us, um, being human or looking like us if they're our biological parents. Um, so I know it's like not a because you know you know the you know Aaron you and I are both millennials you know like millennials I feel like most millennials I talk to are like God is when you're walking through a park and sun is shining through the trees on an autumn day, like that's, that's usually like our millennial understanding of God. It's very like, is
1: that what millennials say? I love it. I guess.
0: I'm, yeah. It's very say,
1: like, I'm a fucking millennial, but if that's what the definition of a millennial is,
0: yeah. It's kind of like pumpkin spice understanding of the divine. Like, you know, it's very like picturesque. Um, but, you know, you can understand that people would interpret this, I think more roughly, more rigidly kind of, um, perhaps back in the day. Of course, I'm basing that on nothing. I don't know that people originally wrote this book, uh, whether divine or human. But that's why I think I kind of mm-hmm. I just imagine the spirit of God. And this is you know, where it's interesting. When I read the Portuguese version this morning, or at least part of it, they do say "espírito," like spirit. They don't allude to wind. They, mm-hmm. they really do mean the spirit of God. Although I well. think even then in English, like to aspire and to I think it does refer to kind of wind and breath. And what I find yeah, interesting too is like a lot of in Judaism, correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, because the we should say Aaron is a rabbinical students. I am a layperson, mm-hmm. person. Um, but Neshama as well refers to breath, like your, your own soul, right? Is there some sort of etymological connection to breath?
1: There is. And in the part we also see that the soul gets breathed into, uh, the first human, so the soul gets breathed so in, yeah.
0: kind of like CPR in a way, right? Like if you—that's what I kind of imagine too. Like in CPR, we're breathing life into someone. Really, we're just stimulating them to bring them back to life. But I, I just feel like sometimes there is this kind of connection to a tangible reality in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew books of Moses. So um, I think that's kind of interesting yeah. too—the wind and spirit, breath and soul like this kind of connection to all of it, because when you no Mm. longer breathe, your soul has left your body, right?
1: Yeah. And it's, yeah, I feel like these are great connections. And for me, it also feels connected to our LP, like, speech and speaking also comes through, through wind in a certain way. Uh, Yeah. Mm. LP,
0: wind. Yeah. And also like, correct me if I'm wrong as well, Aaron, I feel like part of this podcast will be me asking you questions, interviewer style, because of course you're so close to <laughs> received wisdom, but like, uh, even the word "divar," like mm-hmm. is both a word and a thing. So in a way that like, words create things like to be spoken is to make it into a thing. Like, uh, um, yeah. Am I understanding correctly?
1: Right now, that is totally your understanding correctly. Or in classical, like, biblical Hebrew, davar means, like, word. And in contemporary Hebrew, like, it means, it's come to mean thing. So usually when the Torah is saying davar, it means, like, literal word. But, yeah, I feel like that play is totally nice and right. And feels very sheets related where, like part of the creation is like naming things. If Adam's like involved in naming the animals, but like God calls, gives things the names of like day and night, and that is like part of their creation. Make gives them a sort of thingness. I think that's great. I also want to give a little caveat, as you say, like oh, and then I think the format is going to be I'm asking you questions because you're the rabbinical student, and I just want to push back because I think that you have. So much insight, and I'm excited to do this podcast with you, Paul, because I know that you have so many great insights that I want to ask you about. So I don't think we need to have a like, a, oh, just because I'm in these classes, that means that I'm gonna have more answers. I all we'll have answers. I I do agree with
0: you in an abstract sense, but just so people also know that like you are in this field, you know, professionally. I am in this field, you know, unprofessionally. So just so like that there's some understanding of our context. Um, Fair. We're all in the God field. That's true. God is among all of us. And like that kind of, I think, dovetails into another section that I feel like is coming up organically. And Mm I already kind of have a jumping off point for this is like, what can we learn from this Parsha? for us today uh, you know for us personally according to us LP like I know we were talking about names and words and how when God gives a name or word to things how it you know gives it life it did make me think a little bit about um, the importance of names and words I guess in kind of creating an institution or creating memory or creating a community like I'm going to kind of look behind the Emerald curtain now, like, uh, you know, Aaron, and just for our listeners, that one thing I love to do is creating WhatsApp groups. WhatsApp is a messaging Mm -hmm. system that when you have a group of people, you can give that group a name. Um, and I find that when you give things a name, especially like a group of friends or, you know, a community or an organization really does give it life. Like, um, People think things happen spontaneously, like, oh, all these things came together. But I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, I think that there's often a person who's like, uh, my mom calls it the cruise director, who kind of moves a group of friends or people or community and gives it a name. And through giving it a name, then you can refer to it. So I, I think the naming actually is kind of a psychological or sociological helpful phenomenon to think about. Like, we can name things when you name it, you can refer to it. You can give it life. You can work on it it becomes an institution. So I really like naming as kind of something we can draw from the importance of this parsha. Um that's something that kind of yeah came up to me.
1: Yeah, uh it does feel like naming is a very powerful thing that is coming up here right at the beginning of the Torah and is going to I think be happening throughout the Torah it seems to be quite interested in names. Is there a name name that
0: jumps up for me? Like, um, I guess they do refer to... I know that both the Torah and even, I think, the Talmud as well is really big on a play on words. And I feel (laughs) like they were like, oh, we called her Eve because she was something, something, living things. And I was like, well, the writer knows what they're referring to, but I don't know what they're referring to. So, like, what are they referring to when they say her name is Eve and thus something, something, living things?
1: Yeah. I don't know if this is a question. I don't have an answer necessarily. right? what you called M-Kol-Chai and it's connected to Chava. Like a lot of the word plays are also.
0: Like I'm reading, let's see what I'm reading. I am using Sonsino. Does that sound like a thing to you? Oh, that's that's a thing.
1: I'm using oh. Oh, the GPS. GPS. Huh?
0: The most classic one.
1: Yeah, here it is. I see it. In Genesis chapter three verse twenty. I'll read it maybe in Hebrew and then the English translation I have, and you can we can compare translations. Yeah. Haadam Shem Chava The man named his wife Eve, in Hebrew Chava, because she was the mother of all the living. Or in Hebrew living is chai.
0: The translate and uh, this is from Socino. Um Sonsino? Sonsino, so I'm not thinking of this spontaneously. The translation <laughs> listen to listen to this Aaron. Actually, it's quite funny. The mother of all li- living. This translation is incorrect. <laughs> the mother of all humankind. Otherwise, some words must be supplied after living. Um Robertson Smith has shown that the word high in the text is wrongly translated as living. Uh, it's actually the Semitic word for clan. Eve was the mother a mother of every human clan, the mother of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, so this so the Sansino text and this person, W. Robertson, is saying that it's referring to clan, mm-hmm. uh, not to uh chai. You know, for those who know to Am Israel Chai, the word mm-hmm. life. Like um, I guess we would call that a folk etymology, like um, something that sounds correct and has kind of a a folk meaning or meaning to people, but is not actually correct. Um, at least that's what this uh, Tanakh or Humash is telling us.
1: Yeah, neat. And I think that it's also like a f- funny place to be naming Eve. I think it's right it makes sense that you were looking earlier because this is happening right after like the whole story with the eating the forbidden fruit and being cursed. And it's like, oh, by the way, this person's name was Eve. Like you think that there was a name beforehand. Uh, and I want to shout out, or I think that I'm especially interested these days of like finding the parts of the Torah that maybe are like written out or like there's other traditions that you mentioned that might've been floating around. And not everything gets, like, preserved. And some things are being, like, also pushed to the side. I think that's happening often in the Torah. Uh, And I think that it's a... I'm interested in, like, trying to bring some of those things back. And probably part of it is, like, a feminist lens. Like, probably, I assume, seems like the editors and writers of this text were probably men and is written in a patriarchal context. But... uh, there's also all these, like, Midrashim and stories that get uh, formed around, like, the first woman who was created. Because, like, it's also a little bit unclear. I, I referenced it by my one-minute thing, that there's two creation stories and that maybe there was this, like, there's one time where we see that there's a first human that's male and female and then kind of seems to get divided. And then that's how we have the first gender binary. And then there's also the story about like the woman being formed from the rib of the first man. Yeah, but that's like a different story. So it's like who are these different characters? And there's like uh I don't know what to call it, like a mythology or a midrash uh, connected to Lilith, who's this like unnamed other person. And I feel like there's lots of Jewish feminist writing. Shout out to Judith Plasco was a feminist uh, thinker who wrote like uh, wrote a lot about Lilith, and there's Lilith magazine that comes up, and like this Lilith idea gets like carried forward by cabalists and other men as like a demon who like roams the earth. But I feel like there's also a feminist reclamation of like, oh, who is this like independent first woman who like was less subservient to Adam? Yeah. That's my raising up of Lilith. For the moment.
0: I think it's important to raise up Lilith. Like I um, I really love Jewish folk stories. I remember reading one. Again, very offensive. Um, but I'll share it anyways because, you know. Um, so I was reading this collection of Jewish folk stories from Eastern Europe. And there's this family that kept trying to have a baby. And they kept miscarrying. And they're like, what's happening? And it turns out um, there was a spelling mistake on their mezuzah scroll and because their mezuzah scroll had a spelling mistake lilith had been entering the house and causing the miscarriage and i was like oh that's so interesting from two perspectives first of all that the mezuzah scroll is like magical like it magically protects you which i guess it does have kind of an amulet even though we pretend like oh you know mezuzah scroll is not to protect you i think people kind of emotionally feel that way sometimes um, and that it can cause like infertility, like, uh, and it's Lilith's fault. So, like, obviously, very patriarchal and not feminist of a story. But it was kind of interesting to kind of like, you could just imagine some mezuzis girl dealer in like Belarus in the 1700s being like, how can I get more people to buy my mezuzis girls? I have an idea. I'll tell them if it's not good quality, they won't have children. <laughs> so, like, you could totally imagine how, like, a capitalist was... perspective on religion, even then, is how I interpret it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I love I like
1: hearing the folk story about Lilith and Mesuza and children, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, so I, I love that kind of you bring up the so is that kind of like your piece of what you kind of wanted to bring to the podcast, I guess, kind of the stories that are breathing behind the Torah. Um, so kind of like remembering the you know, combating, I guess, the patriarchal interpretation of what, obviously, we've had of the Torah over the last hundreds of thousands of years.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I feel like that's important to bring. Also, like, probably is very obvious to our listeners that we're two men who are recording this podcast right now. And I feel like that's a voice that is often heard. And like, of course, we bring our own unique perspectives. also. Like, we're not only defined by that gender piece, but I feel like trying to find other voices, feels like important to do also with that identity piece of mind.
0: Which we'd like to do in the future as well having guest speakers, because nothing would be more hypocritical than being like, these two men will tell everyone else what feminism should be like. Yeah. I think there are some interpretations too, that the Torah did originally a pre Jewish religion that Judaism was based on did have like a female God, Asherah, I believe, or something like that. Um, I've read that. I feel like there's a
1: whole context of like other ways of relating to God that's right. The Torah's always like, don't do that. Destroy your Asherahs. We don't want those around. But I feel like I'm curious these days about trying to figure out like how we can also like uplift and see those things as like, oh, this is also how our ancestors used to connect to the divine and maybe there's also wisdom in it for us like also for the Genesis story we're talking about like the spirit of God hovering over the deep like one like place that people kind of like have questions about this the word for deep is to home right? there's like these depths and people like connected to like also these myths and I apologize I don't know where they're from if they're like Canaanite or Akkadian about, like, Tiamat, who's this, like, water goddess. And there was, like, some whole, like, mythology that was understood just by probably people who were reading this. Like, oh, yeah, we know that this is referencing, like, the battles between the water goddess Tiamat and the sky god El. And, right, and we're just on the team of, like, sky god El. So, like, we know that that's, like, who we're, like, hoping is going to, like, create order here and like we've been pushing out this like fearsome monster goddess tiamat and like that's not what we want we're re-mythologizing it in a certain way
0: and it's funny we're mythologizing like i know the names tiamat or let's say like leviathan or other ones because they actually like show up a lot in final fantasy the game series so (laughs) it's like these or um also um for all my video game people, Xeno Saga has a lot of uh Hebrew Bible in it. So like it's just interesting too how these things get remythologized again and again and again through mm-hmm. different media. So I do kind of find that kind of a funny a funny thing that like uh I only know Tiamat through Final Fantasy, not from um the Tanakh. So
1: um well, yeah, but right because T.M.I. has been written out. Or the, or, if that is a reference to T.M.I., then it's not. Like, there's also disagreement about if that is what that's getting at. But that feels like a cool example of re-mythologizing, or maybe what's our phrase? Contemporary midrash, new midrash, midrash hadash. Like the midrash the hadash. Midrash. Maybe that's a midrash hadash in those video
0: games. <laughs> that is a good way to think of it. Kind of like that. These things are constantly recycling themselves.
1: I also wanted to raise up some of the work that Rabbi Shefa Gold has been doing uh, with her Love at the Center project. And I think we also maybe will sometimes drop in different like, other projects that are happening around like reading the weekly Torah portion. And Rabbi Shepha Gold has been doing this project where she's divided up the Song of Songs, Shir Shirim, and uh, is kind of suggesting over the last couple of years has been reading, like, these verses together with the Parsha, and, like, finding connections through them. And it's also, like, trying to recenter Shireen, Song of Songs, as, like, a central, like, text in Jewish tradition. Like, referencing this idea that uh, Rabbi Akiva, like, mentions in the Talmud, uh, in Masafet Yadaim that all the books of the Bible are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. And so like that kind of feels like, oh, maybe we should be focusing more on Song of Songs. Uh, and I feel like with its emphasis on love, on like nature, it feels like it has like important messages for us to to take. Um so I don't know if you have time for me to say more. If you go we- to rabbichefegold.com, you can find more there. I feel like I want to talk about these verses. Rabbi Shepha Gold connects with Bray which are the first three verses of Song of Songs. And I'm going to read them here, and maybe we'll riff for a second uh, before wrapping up. Shir Shirin, the Song of Songs, a journey through love towards peace and wholeness. This is an interpretive translation for a Shirin Shlomo that are connected with Solomon. Was connected to Shalom, peace. Oh, give me the kisses of your mouth, for your sweet loving is better than wine. Your juices are fragrant. Your essence pours out like oil. This is why the young women want you. It feels like this is just such a different, uh, you know, kind of like poetic story that's different than uh, what we're seeing in, in Bray Sheets. But like one of the things that Rabbi Sheff is doing is like connecting it to the Torah portion. She quotes Rabbi Arthur Waskow, who calls the Song of Songs, the grown up version of Eden. Like that, like in Genesis, like God is kind of doing this creation. And there's a sense of like, oh, maybe in Song of Songs, there's still like this uh, natural creative piece, but it's more participatory. Uh, And I feel like that's an interesting thing to think about, like what's the connection between Eden and this natural place of Song of Songs. Uh, And I also feel like I like this uh, opening with kisses and it feels like we are talking about God uh, breathing life into the first human. It feels like right kissing and sharing breath is also like there's something spiritual and evocative about that too
0: it totally kind of rolls into our whole spirit mouth from the word of kind of connection. Like, uh, yeah, I think it totally, yeah, it's interesting kind of, it's funny when you look at something a certain way and then you look at how someone else is looking at it and it's similar. Like I've made this joke before that Judaism is really group therapy. It's like everyone reading the same thing to kind of go through group therapy experience. And part of what I like about group therapy, Mm -hmm. which, which I've done in the past is like, oh, other people get anxious too. I thought it was just me. So kind of interesting, like other people are seeing things to do with mouth and naming and voice and spirit in this Parsha. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just me. Like it's yeah. kind of a unifying experience. So I think that's really astute the way you brought it together like that.
1: Yeah, and the way that it seems to have just come together on this LP podcast. Because right, it does have the same word, like Minishikot pihu from the Kisses of... Your mouth. It's the same word. who your, your mouth.
0: It's it's bashert. It's bashert, beresh- bashert, bashert. Bashert meaning kind of destiny. Uh, uh-huh. uh, and basherd. It's I'm creating a false connection here. Bashert meaning in the beginning and bashert meaning destiny. Like um, It's destiny that we would, can make these connections. Now I have to like it's acknowledge each false etymology. False uh, equivalency. I'm like this sounds similar, but it's really not. Even though I feel like in the the rap, the sages do it all the time. They're like, if you close your eyes and change three letters, it's really the same as this word. Like all oh, those sages trying to draw any connection they can.
1: Yeah, maybe that was even happening with Chava or and Eve in the text, according to what you were reading. <laughs> I'd say more false connections. I, I like I like the word plays.
0: Yeah, maybe we shouldn't even say false connections. Just kind of gut connections or heart connections like Uh, we know it's not a head connection it's not factually true but it's a gut reaction and it's a heart reaction we want it to be Mm -hmm. true emotionally and it feels true in our gut so like I think I call it like a heart Mm -hmm. reaction almost like um, that's how I what I'd call it
1: yeah that feels like a good intention or kavana to have our let our heart and intuitions also guide us maybe as we're starting this podcast project that I feel like often Torah study is like very like intellectual focused. I think even a lot of our discussions have been like trying to think through connections, but to also like make space for our hearts and our guts to bring connection to, I think sounds right.
0: Exactly. That's we're fun. not going to just, we're not going to just think through these. We're going to feel through them. Um, emotional reasoning, very, yeah. They tell you another thing they tell you to not do in group therapy, but we will do it in this We'll do it stage. here. <laughs> we'll do it here. We'll do emotional reasoning here. Um so Aaron, what are we going to be learning next week?
1: Noah, the story of the flood.
0: And how much should we
1: say? Can't do a whole minute. Well,
0: I guess like it's almost the the Tanakh gave us a sneak peek, because I feel like the end of Barry Sheet says Noah's name. Noah's name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll say there might be a flood. There might be, you know, this really great guy Noah. Um, but I think that's as much as... There be it, a tower
1: that is built, and language getting created. There could be a it's tower, there languages. could be language,
0: but you know, it's really anyone's guess, because uh, this arcane book we're reading, the Torah, the no one's ever... <laughs> they're, uh, it's really niche. It's like... Um... don't
1: you say that about my Torah arcane?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tune in next podcast when we do a, what would we say? A light dive and a personal dive into Noah.
1: Yeah. See you next week. This is so great to have done our first one.
0: Yes. Yeah, see you next week. This is Paul Soleika signing off. And...
1: and this is Aaron Rotenberg. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.